You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where you watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today we are talking about Forbidden Girlfriend, which originally aired December 15th, 2002, was directed by Jamie Babbitt, and written by Matthew Carlson. Hi, I'm Jake, and I don't want to be the evil twin. And I'm David, and has anyone considered putting in a gate? That's just crazy talk. Uh, Before we get into this week's episode, we have our community segment where we have some poll results and a couple emails. Uh, We will begin with our poll results looking back on Stupid Girl, Uh, which for that episode, we were in agreement that Dewey was the least shitty kid uh, because he helped Hal with his crushing addiction. Exactly. And most of the internet agreed Dewey got 83% of the vote with Reese getting a lone defecting vote. And uh, Richard left a comment on that poll saying simply, Perfect Angel Dewey. (laughs) I mean, he is. Then... Uh, For Shittiest Kid, we were also in agreement, as we both chose uh, Malcolm for intentionally dumbing himself down and essentially turning himself into another Reese, Uh, which again, the internet mostly agreed with us. Malcolm got 88% of the vote, and Reese got 11% of the vote. Moving on to our emails... Uh, We got two emails, both from Erica, which, both of which she said from the side of the road while biking home. Nice, nice. Efficiency, Uh, I approve. uh, But the first one, which I uh, meant to tell you about and then forgot before the episode, uh, reads, Hi, I've been forgetting to write this email for several weeks now, so I'm literally on my bike, pulled over to the side of the road, typing this so I don't forget again. Anyway, I just wanted to share that Jane Kaczmarek was pres- was pre- I almost said present- pregnant uh, before starting to film this season, which is probably why she looks so great in this season. And she, uh, suggests that we look for, like, the various ways that they, uh, like, try to hide that Jane Kaczmarek was pregnant in this season. Uh, she points out stuff like baggy clothing- Close shots and carrying stuff in front of her. uh, Stuff like that. Interesting. I've definitely seen some examples already. Uh, Yeah, there there were uh, quite a few in this week's episode. Yeah, yeah. A few minutes later, she sent another email titled, Also Kellogg's. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, And this one just reads, Pulled over again to say that as of November 12th, Kellogg's workers are uh, not only still striking... For better wages and working conditions, but the company has filed a lawsuit against their striking workers. So yeah, I agree with David that Kellogg's doesn't exist. They are dead to me. Don't be a scab, etc. Ha! <laughs> so there we have it. Kellogg's does not exist. Correct. They went out of business. Yeah, clearly. Clearly. <laughs> but uh, getting into this week's episode... Uh, before we actually get into the content of it, I did want to point out that uh, the director for this episode is kind of a big deal. 
it's Jamie Bad, who, who is, technically this isn't her first episode, but I didn't bring it up before because they had her uh, wasted on Clip Show. But she is, one, she's like a very big TV director. She's worked on a bunch of stuff like Silicon Valley, uh, Gilmore Girls, show. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh. Wow. I mean, Mrs. Maisel was uh, amazing. Yeah, I know. You're, you're uh, once again refusing to accept how fantastic Gilmore Girls is. I know. I understand. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm right. But uh, Jamie Bad is also, like, a very big deal within the queer film community. Uh, she, she also directed But I'm a Cheerleader, which is, like, a very big, like, early 2000s gay movie. Uh, it's also, like, where, uh, fuck, what was her name? Uh, Natasha, the, the uh, lady from Orange is the New Black and stuff. I um, would Natasha Leone. Okay. Uh, who's like in recent years become like a very big actress, but that was like her first like big starring role that, that sort of uh put her on the map way back in like 2000. Huh, that's crazy. Yeah, Jamie Babbitt will direct one more episode of the show, but I thought it was worth pointing out that she is like a fairly big guest director that they brought in. That's cool though. Also, I never would have known any of that, but uh, getting into the actual content of the episode. We, of course, have our cold open, which consists of Lois and Hal uh, sitting on the couch, folding some laundry together while they watch the local news. <laughs> then, uh, as the uh, weatherman comes on and starts talking about how the downpour is going to continue throughout the weekend, they, they look, suddenly look, you know, sort of confused, and, and they, like, look outside you know, where it's bright and sunny, and Hal says, it's not raining. And then they sort of piece it together, and Hal gets up and goes over to the uh, VCR, and he, uh, of course there is a tape playing that the boys have clearly set up in an elaborate scheme, as when they turn it to the actual live news, uh, the newscaster is talking about how uh, three unidentified boys were seen fleeing while bystanders were left to watch in horror. <laughs> I want to know what they were horrified by. <laughs> I need information, damn it. Well, you're not going to get it. I know. It's sad. <laughs> but but this was a uh, pretty clever uh, cover-up that they attempted here. It was. It was. Uh, points for style. Absolutely. And getting into the episode proper, we, of course, will begin with the F-plot. And... It starts with Francis out in a field putting up a fence. And as he is, two cowboys on horses ride up. And Francis is uh, complaining about how this is, you know, the third time he's had to put this fence up. And they tell him, yeah, well, this will be the third time we have to tear it down. <laughs> uh, we put a lot of effort into tearing that down. <laughs> And they explain that they tore the fence down because their cattle need to get to the water, which requires them to go through uh, the grotto's land. And uh, Francis is saying they know they, they need to put the fence up because they lost two horses, and it took them a week to find them because there was no fence. And as they're, like, making fun of the dude ranch for being a dude ranch, Francis is... You know, trying to tell them that just because he's 
you know, working at a dude ranch instead of a cattle ranch, that, that doesn't mean he doesn't work just as hard as they do. And then... Yes, his cell phone starts to rain in his fanny pack, which of course they immediately make fun of, and still try to save face, he answers with like a very like, generic cowboy voice, and then has to like turn away and quietly talk into the phone as he tells presumably another employee at the grotto where to find the lavender soap. <laughs> then, we once again out on that same field you know what once again working on the fence is francis and otto comes in <laughs> he is once again wearing his speedo as we saw last episode <laughs> but but this time he's wearing a cowboy hat with it and otto is furious and he's yelling about these cowboys you know tearing down the fence and uh, how, how he's going to you know show them and it doesn't care, you know, how many times they do it, they're gonna keep putting this fence up. Right. And as he's ranting and raving, Gretchen uh, rides up in a golf cart to tell them it's time for a lunch break as she has brought them a picnic. And Otto apologizes that she had to see him in all of his fury. Oh, Otto, I love your fury. <laughs> <laughs> turns to Francis and says, Isn't his fury magnificent to behold? <laughs> and Francis, clearly talking about the Speedo, says, I try not to look at his fury. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't blame him. <laughs> then, uh, the next time we come back to this plot line, it is Pirate Night at the Grotto. They're having a pirate-themed party, and Francis is holding the limbo stick while they're all in their, like, generic uh, pirate-themed clothing. And Otto is talking about how they've had some great pirate nights before, but this is the best one yet. Then they're interrupted as the two cowboys from before come in, and they drop, like, some fence posts and fencing on the ground... And Otto confronts them, <laughs> and after, like, a little bit of back and forth, he tells Gretchen to go get his gun. Which one? Oh, the Luger, of course. And uh, they, like, are once again going back and forth. Otto's saying that uh, next time they're going to build the fence twice as high, and the ranters say they'll just tear it back down. And then Otto says, then we'll build a fence that's 50 feet high, and they say they'll tear that down, too. And at this point, Francis interjects, and as you uh, alluded to in your opening line, he says, Has anyone ever thought about putting in a gate? And <laughs> they, they just sort of, like, stare dumbfounded at each other. And one of the ranchers says, A gate, huh? And Otto just says, That could work. It could work. Yes. Then, uh, cuts to the conclusion of this little F-plot of them all being, uh, very drunk and scening together, having resolved their very easily resolved problem that they've clearly been going back and forth with forever. But what do you do with a drunken thing? Fair. What do you do? <laughs> uh, moving on to the next plot line, we have another fairly condensed plot line. The E.T. plotline. The evil twin plot. I... It, no. Yeah, that's what it is. If anything, it's the D.R. plotline for Dewey and Reese. 
that that doesn't make any sense. Multiple you, character names. You don't make any sense. Also, keep going. I hate you. I'm done arguing with you about your naming convention. Just know that by now, both I and the audience know you are wrong. You you did not understand the assignment, and you have failed your people. No, I think I perfectly understood the assignment. Continue. Well, it starts with Reese as he is walking home and a guy in a Leatherman jacket and a, uh, you know, driving a red convertible goes by. And as he does, he splashes uh, Reese with, with like a muddy puddle. And Reese, of course, yells at him. But when the guy pulls over and threatens him back, Reese like immediately chickens out. And the, the guy, like, drives away, and once he's a ways away, Reese yells again, but this time he just yells, Yeah, well, I wish I had a car like that. <laughs> then, at that point, Reese looks across the street and notices that an old lady is giving Dewey some money. And uh, he goes over to see what's going on with this, and the old lady is telling Dewey uh, what a great job he did. And giving him money, and then another guy comes over and gives him $5 for pulling some weeds yesterday. And Reese is, like, completely perplexed by this. And he tells Dewey, you know, you didn't pull any weeds yesterday. And Dewey says, I know. And Reese asks, so why are these people giving you money? And Dewey explains that it's money day. Right, exactly. That makes total sense. It's the day that comes around every once in a while where people just give Dewey money. <laughs> Dewey, like, you know, confident in this, uh, explains that uh, it goes along with the other days, like Head Pat Day and Cookie Day. Uh, she's not as big of a fan of those days, but then Money Day comes back around. <laughs> then Dewey, like, uh, walks away and while Reese is, like, standing there completely perplexed. And uh, when he asks one of the uh, neighbors who had given Dewey money, you know, why did you do that? The guy explains... Uh, you know, Dewey, uh, cleaned out his gutters, and he sorted his recycling, and didn't even, you know, ask him to do that. The best kid he's ever known, he, he's just disappointed he can't give him more. And Reese is sort of hypothesizing, try, you know, trying to figure this out. He's saying, you know, he, he's certain that there's no such thing as Money Day, unless his parents don't want him to know about Money Day. <laughs> and as he's, like, forming this conspiracy in his head behind him... A kid, approximately Dewey-sized, is raking a, you know, all, all the leaves in a yard, and he uh, goes past Reese, and, and when he does, Reese, like, looks at him and realizes that this kid looks a lot like Dewey. Then, uh, you know, ha having figured it out, we then follow Reese as he goes home, and he tells Dewey about Billy Prescott, who is this kid that looks like Dewey, who's been going around the neighborhood, doing all of these good things for the neighbors, and they've been paying Dewey thinking that he's Billy. And he, uh, in the process of explaining this, explains the uh, simple rule that everyone has an evil twin out there. That's right, everyone. And Dewey uh, is sort of, you know, confused by this. He's saying, you know, this Billy kid doesn't seem evil. <laughs> and... Reese explains that's because Dewey is the evil twin in this scenario. <laughs> that Billy Kid's a saint. And uh, of course, uh, that, that is where my opening line comes from, is upon hearing this, Dewey just says, but I don't want to be an evil twin. You don't have to be. Don't listen to Reese. 
Heck, Reese doesn't make the rules. But in this situation, he is. No, he's just explaining the rules to Dewey. Mm-hmm. These, these are just the rules of our reality, David. Mm-hmm. And Reese, of course, sees this as an opportunity. He says there's money and there's an evil twin. If they can't figure out some way to take advantage of this, then uh, that they're the biggest idiots in the world. And they go off to watch some soap operas for inspiration on how to utilize this evil twin situation. Oh, God. <laughs> I I just, I must have missed that line when one of the kids must have been crying. I, I, I didn't hear him say anything about soap operas. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. Then we see Reese starting to initiate his plan. Which Dewey doesn't want to do. He's, uh, you know, protesting, say, saying that, you know, he doesn't want to go through with this, but Reese blackmails him, saying that if he doesn't go through with this plan, he's going to tell Lois about all the money he's taken, and he's going to get a Reese style punishment. <laughs> so, wanting to avoid that, Dewey goes through with his plan, which is to enact revenge on the guy with the convertible, who had splashed Reese earlier in the episode. As uh, Dewey rings the doorbell, then runs over, and he's filled the convertible with cement and water. He, he like, has the hose, uh, like, filling it, actively filling it with water while he is, like, standing on the car. Then when the guy comes out, of course, starts yelling, seeing what they've done to his car, Dewey runs away, and as he does, Reese, who is in disguise... With uh, big sunglasses and a fake mustache and a ball cap and a trench coat on. <laughs> Just is loudly yelling after the fleeing Dewey. Uh, you know, clearly yelling his name, Billy Prescott, and announcing the address that he lives at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like 1515. I don't remember the street. <laughs> then he adds the, uh, you know, a block over from Fairfax or something like that. And I was <laughs> yes, oddly specific and hilarious. Then we see what appears to be Billy Prescott uh, potentially being arrested. As the, you know, the, the cops are there and Billy's there you know, with his parents and they're you know, talking to the guy whose car was ruined. And Reese looks very pleased with how this is all played out. Then Reese comes into their bedroom the next day. And he is talking to Dewey about how great that plan worked out and how, you know, the, uh, using this Billy kid as their scapegoat, they can do anything they want. And he has updated his list of enemies. Then, <laughs> when Dewey isn't responding to this, Reese uh, goes over to him and, like, turns him. And it's not Dewey at all. It's Billy. Billy Prescott. About this time, the closet door pops open. And both Dewey and the guy whose car they ruined step out. And Dewey just looks up at the guy and says, have you heard enough? And as the guy like slowly uh, walks towards Reese, Reese is trying to uh, play it off. Uh, you know, trying to say that it, uh, it, it wasn't me. It was uh, some other guy who looks just like me. It's not the real or I'm not the real me. <laughs> yes. But of course, it doesn't work, and in the end, Reese even gives up on it. <laughs> and uh, the, the last that we get of, of this plot line is uh, just the, the guy about to punch Reese, and then as his fist is coming in, it hard cuts to another scene. 
Well, that scene connects to the next plot line we'll be covering. Uh, the A plot. A for abstinence. <laughs> God, are you Jake? <laughs> that one at least makes sense. They all make sense. No, no, Jake. Some of your previous ones have not made sense. No, they've they've all no, made. You've really sense. had to stretch for some of these. No, not not necessarily tonight, but like overall within span of the podcast since you started doing this new dumb naming convention, you've had to at least stretch for some of them. Absolutely not. They've all been very intuitive. You calling me a liar? I ain't calling you a truther. You're welcome. We're old. <laughs> well done, David. Well done. You're welcome. All right. Well, the A plot starts with Hal sitting on the couch naked. <laughs> Stirring a bottle of champagne in one of those very classy, like, I don't even know the right word for it. I know there is a word for it, but like, it's the bottle in like a decanter filled with like water and ice. Yeah, the, the champagne bucket. Y yeah, there's a proper term for it that I don't know because I'm stupid and not classy enough. But anyways. Uh, well, I yeah. just called it a bucket. No, no. Well, that's because some places actually use a bucket. He very specifically has like a piece of like it looks almost like a vase, but it's not. But anyways, and he's stirring it with his foot, and it looks phenomenal. It's it, this is this is a hundred percent Hal's like giving it, you know, a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like this is this is stereotypical dude trying his damnedest and couldn't think of anything more right and as he is doing this he is seeing show and tell uh by al wilson or at least that that is the version that i'm familiar with though apparently it's one of those songs that's been re-recorded a million times well yeah yeah isn't isn't that one the original though i don't know it's just the one that i know <laughs> okay it's the one that i know as the original so if it's not the original then oh well then Lois comes in with an armful of groceries, and uh, she looks very amused by Hal's little setup. But uh, she tells Hal that uh, the boys are going to be home in ten minutes, which Hal just <laughs> says, challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> he understood the assignment, Jake. Lois continues on explaining that she went to the doctor and she has an infection, and she's going to have to uh, take some medicine for the next week, and they're not allowed to have sex until she goes off of the medicine. And Hal immediately starts bargaining. <laughs> His first idea is, he asks, well, what would happen if you took all of the pills at once? <laughs> yeah, just take all your antibiotics right now. Yeah. And there's a thing called C. diff. You don't want it, but, you know, let's shoot for the stars. When Lois shoots that idea down, he says, well, what if you alternate days? <laughs> day on, day off. I'm not a medical doctor, but I think it would be too much of a shock for your system. Lois says that that won't work either. They're just going to have to deal with it. No sex for a week. But Hal immediately has like a minor meltdown over. Then uh, in order to distract himself, he... Says he's going to go mow the lawn then. And he's headed towards the door and he's about to step out when Lois says, Hal, you're naked. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes off to get dressed before he does his uh, lawn mowing. Uh, then we see some more housework as a way of avoiding thinking about sex from Hal. <laughs> as uh, Reese wakes up and it's you know, clearly early in the morning. 
And he's confused because Hal is uh, in the kitchen painting the cabinets. And Hal says, well, he was laying in bed staring at the ceiling and he thought, you know, why not get a early start on the day and start painting these cabinets? And he has also made like a full breakfast for them, including crepes. He's clearly been just trying to keep himself as busy as possible. And Lois comes out and she has clearly been doing the same thing. <laughs> she has an armful of uh, some flowers. Uh, she has been doing gardening all morning. She and discovered that the flower shop is open this early. That's right. And she uh, starts to open the fridge to make the boys some lunch. And Hal says that he already made them lunch. And she just, you know, gets a big smile on her face. And she says, well, I guess we'll make them double lunch then. Uh, then we get like a little time lapse to you know, sh show the passage of the week. It's just an exterior shot of the house as... The, the, like, lawn and everything is, like, just being gradually spruced up until it looks, you know, like a, a really nice, well-maintained lawn. Instead of, like, the usual, like, overgrown, you know, brown grass lawn that we're used to seeing. Then uh, Hal and Lois are talking in the kitchen again, and Hal is talking about how the other day when he was working through lunch, his boss saw him, and they had a conversation, and he thinks he's gonna get a raise because of it. And Lois says, you know, that that's great. She had a really productive day, too. You know, she did all of these different chores. And she also had time to go through all of their old uh, taxes for the last several years. And she figured out that in 99, they overpaid on their taxes. And the IRS is going to be sending them a check for, uh, I think it was like $800, I think she said. $800, yep. And then as they're having this conversation, Lois remembers to take her pill. And as she does, they both realize that it is the last one. Good news for your boy, Hal. So they, they, they like, share a knowing look. <laughs> then they uh, have a conversation uh, in their bedroom as they're, like, getting ready for bed about how much more productive and better every other part of their lives have been since they stopped having sex all the time. <laughs> and they both agree that, uh, you know, it's worth it and they are going to continue not having sex in order to, you know, keep improving the rest of their lives. Then they, you know, lay down in the bed, uh, both agreeing, and then they, like, roll over, facing each other, and immediately Hal says, I'm gonna go sleep in the car, and Lois says, better make it a couple blocks away. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That's fair. This does remind me of, of a very good Seinfeld plotline, uh, which the, the premise of that one is essentially that, uh, as, you know, men don't have sex, uh, specifically it's George, they, they get, like, more competent and smarter, and then for women it's the opposite, if they, you know, as, as they don't have sex, they, uh, like, slowly get dumber and more slobbish. Hmm. And it's, it's a whole thing where, like, George, like, turns his life around, and after being, you know, the loser of the show for, like, the entire run of the show is, like, you know, getting on track and, you know, having a ton of success at work and getting all these promotions and stuff. So he, you know, re resolves not to have sex, and then as soon as he does, he, like, immediately just ruins his life again. I see. Very similar premise. <laughs> the, the, the next day, Lois is sitting at the kitchen table, drinking some tea... And uh, she has nothing left to do, so she, like, spills the tea intentionally on the table so that she clean it, can, you know, have something to clean up. Then after she does, she, you know, she realizes, uh, you know, how unsatisfied she is with this, uh, you know, turn of events, and she, you know, looks kind of disappointed. And she then resolves to seduce Hal. 
which uh, takes exactly one scene. <laughs> we, we then see uh, the cut from Reese being punched, cuts to uh, Hal uh, putting in new carpeting in the living room. And he, you know, comes in with his two belt into the bedroom, you know, saying, you know, he's done with the carpeting, and, you know, next he's gonna start working on the attic, and, uh, by the time he's done, their house is gonna triple in value. Then he, uh, turns around and realizes that Lois is sitting on the bed, wearing her lingerie, and, uh, holding a rose, and Hal is immediately on to her, and he starts saying that, you know, he's... That uh, he's gonna stay strong. They resolved not to have sex, and he's sticking to it. Then Lois like lowers the strap on her lingerie, and Hal continues explaining that you know he's not going to give in to his baser instincts like she is. He is not an animal. Yes, as he's explaining this, he is stripping down <laughs> until he's just in his underwear and tool belt. And when he goes to take the tool belt off, Lois says, "Tool belt on." Then. Uh, Hal just, uh, helplessly whippers as he gives in. Then we see, like, a little wrap-up for this at the end of the episode that starts with the reverse time-lapse that we saw before as the nice, well-maintained house and lawn slowly deteriorates back to its natural state. Of chaos. Yes. And Hal and Lois are, as usual, like, you know, getting ready to go off to work, you know, in, in a rush. But as they're doing this, they're, like, actively making out. And Hal says that he was supposed to do something at work today, but he can't remember what. And Lois says, come home for lunch. And he says, yep, that was it. There goes that promotion. Yep. <laughs> and as he uh, goes out the front door, the, the like, uh, like, little peephole, like, thing, well, like, falls and... And is hanging upside down. And that is how uh, this plot line ends. And that leaves only the main plot of the episode, the girlfriend plot, or GF plot. And it just this... has Malcolm. Yeah, and his girlfriend. She has a name, you jerk. Yeah, Nikki. There you go. I mean, look, I was going to put FGF, but that, that just seems like a lot, for, you know, for forbidden girlfriend. I abbreviate it, because you're it, always complaining in a very Malcolm-esque manner. No. <laughs> Not eat. Just listen. Listen. There was a naming convention. Uh-huh. We we taught you a no. proper naming convention. No, there was a naming convention. And then convention. you messed it up. Then you and you Eric messed came it up. in, and you, you know, complained about how it was, you know, too straightforward... And you guys came up with this naming convention that I have then taken to its logical extreme, and I, I don't see what you're complaining about. This was you and Eric's idea. No. I'll, no. I'll gladly go you back took, to the original naming convention if you would like. You took her idea and you bastardized it. No. No, I, I improved upon it. I made it more specific to the episode. I, I hate you. Are we done? You've, you've taken all of my life. You have beaten me down. I am a weary old man. Between you and my children, I have no life left. Good. I am an energy vampire. <laughs> I the fucking I knew it. Uh, <laughs> dude, you you are a Colin Robinson. <laughs> he is my favorite character in what we do in the shadows, hundred percent. He is pretty funny. Also, not we weren't paid to say this, but uh what we do in the shadows, great show. You guys should check it out. 
absolutely. And our good uh, personal friend Taika Waititi is a you know the, the producer on that show. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a super fan of this show, and we're yeah. a super fan of his show, so it works out. Yeah, uh, uh, his other FX show, uh, Reservation Dogs, also very good. Check that out yeah. as well. Uh, you know who else we need to get now? Because we've got Taika Waititi. Yeah, we need we need to use Taika's connections to get the show to Kamal Nanjiani. Oh, yeah. We need yeah. a Pakistani Denzel on our team, man. Like that would yeah. be great. I mean, we do, but uh, I, I, I think he might be too good for us now, David. Yeah. Yeah. Is it because he's a Bollywood star? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you see how fucking ripped he was in that movie? Dude, right? <laughs> <laughs> he might actually be Pakistani Denzel now. Yeah, well, legitimately. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, fucking Bollywood singers are like, oh shit, Kamal Nanjiani's hot now. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this information. <laughs> right? <laughs> Remember when he was just the nerdy Pakistani kid? Like, can we go back to that? It made me feel better about myself. But moving on from Kamal Nanjiani, back to this episode. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, at this point, we could make a Kamal Nanjiani podcast. Fair. What we do, David, is we just make a podcast about his X-Files podcast. Oh, yeah. See, that's perfect. But uh, back to the episode. For reals this time. Uh, it starts with Malcolm walking up to a house. And he, as he is, he's talking to camera about how you meet uh, you know, a lot of different interesting people when you're tutoring kids. And he goes through the you know list of insulting terms for the kids that he's tutored. And he's complaining about how, you know, he has to do spend all of his time after school tutoring these kids because of Lois. And he knocks on the door and Nikki opens the door, uh, which Nikki is played by Reagan Dale Neese, uh, who will be a recurring actress on the show for a while uh, in this role and has actually appeared before. Uh, do, do you know when she appeared before, David? No. She was Lauren, who was uh, Eric's date in evacuation uh, in the episode where Francis got, like, left with the uh, her little sister. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Okay. But upon seeing, you know, that it's an attractive girl, Malcolm turns to camera and says, Okay, th but this doesn't prove my mom right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, then we see them doing some tutoring. Uh, it starts with Nikki saying, you know, she finally understands trigonometry. And when Malcolm, uh, you know, asks uh, wh why she feels that way, she says, you know, she's finally figured out that it's completely useless. <laughs> and Malcolm starts to try to, you know, explain why it's not useless. If she ever wants to chart the trajectory of a lunar, okay, yeah, it is useless. <laughs> I agree. For for uh, most people, a hundred percent yes. Yeah, no, like it needs to exist, but like right. Give me a reason why I needed it. Zero, no reasons, none. Fair. Then, uh, Nikki starts to flirt with Malcolm. Uh, she says that you know she's noticed him at school before, and she uh, asks him if you know be being as smart as he is, if he has to have like every moment of his life planned out. And uh, Malcolm, like, starts to say that he doesn't, but, you know, she, she immediately calls him out and says that, you know, he, he does, and, uh, you know, he's not like her. She likes when things are unpredictable, uh, and especially if they get dangerous. And she 
starts to, like, lean in as, you know, she says, you know, moments like this where you don't know what's going to happen next. Then they're interrupted uh, before they can kiss as Nikki's dad comes in, uh, who will also show up a few times. And he is played by Michael Seamus Willis, who you uh, may recognize from Breaking Bad. Oh, definitely. Uh, but he comes in and, you know, he asks how the tutoring's going. And when Malcolm, you know, j- just says what, he says, you know, the thing I'm paying you $7 an hour for. And uh, Malcolm says that, you know, it's going well. She's very smart. And he says, well, she didn't understand it when I tried to explain it to her. He well, like, gets into a little bit of an argument with, with Nikki as she, you know, says that he didn't explain it. He just yelled at her. That's what he always does. And Malcolm, like, tries to uh, step in and, you know, calm things down uh, when Nikki says that he dropped out of high school. You know, saying that if he'd had the chance, I'm sure he would have, uh, you know, been able to learn trigonometry. And her dad, like, leans down and, and like, grabs his shoulder and says, when? And, and he you know, explains that he was in Nam, and that's why he dropped out of high school. And him and his comrades uh, fought and bled so that kids like him could be free to study trigonometry. And it's, like, a very, like, intense close-up, and it, you know, clearly intimidates Malcolm. As after this little speech, he, like, you know, leaves them to continue with their tutoring. And when Malcolm talks about how scary it was, Nikki, like, dismisses it, saying, you know, he he does that all the time. He did the same thing at Denny's to try to get a free Grand Slam the other day. And then they uh, immediately start uh, kissing, uh, with uh, Malcolm, you know, even pointing out that, you know, that this is a uh, bad idea with her dad being so close. He's, you know, clearly a pretty intense guy. But they resume doing it anyway. <laughs> then uh, we see them at school together with, like, Nikki behind, sitting behind him with, like, her uh, arms wrapped around him. And they're both talking about how they got home late last night and got in trouble for it. And uh, how they don't even care because they were together. And Stevie comes over and immediately gives them some shit for, uh, you know, their uh, PDA here. <laughs> Saying, we get it, you're dating. <laughs> <laughs> and Nikki, it like, char- keeps charming Stevie as he's, like, trying to talk to them. As he, like, first starts to talk, she, like, cuts him off saying, uh, talking about how cute he is. And then when he, like, keeps trying to ask her, her his question, uh, she, you know, spins it around. So it's, uh, you know, Stevie asking if she'll leave Malcolm for him. And she says, of course I will. But we shouldn't uh, talk about this right in front of him. Right. (laughs) uh, Sevia finally manages to ask uh, if she passed her trigonometry test, uh, which she says she did. She's very happy she got a D minus. And she thanks Malcolm for his help with that. Then uh, she says, you know, she's had enough school for one day and she's going to go off to the mall. And Stevie is, of course, scandalized by this, that she is going to skip class. And she says, it's just Jim, but Stevie insists, it's still a class. <laughs> I mean, barely. Like, as she goes off, Malcolm, like, turns to Stevie and, you know, is, you know, trying to look uh, like he's, you know, weighing his options. But uh, Stevie tells him, you know, don't even pretend. <laughs> and Malcolm <laughs> goes off with Nikki. <laughs> then uh, we see Malcolm and Nikki uh, at the park where they are once again making out. And Malcolm turns to camera and, you know, lists all the various dates that they've gone on. And then he says, 
Yeah, it's amazing how empty those places are during school hours. <laughs> <laughs> they have clearly been cutting class to go on these dates. Then, uh, their kiss is broken up as Nikki's dad has found them and pulls Malcolm away from her. And, of course, starts screaming at him to stay away from his daughter while, uh, you know, yelling at Nikki to go to his truck. And he is very clear that Malcolm is to never see her again. And, of course, this, uh, works flawlessly, as it always does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, works 100% of the time. Then, having been, like, you know, completely terrified now, Malcolm, like, as they leave, uh, takes a moment to just lay in the fetal position on the, like, picnic table that he and Nikki were kissing on. (laughs) (laughs) Then, when Malcolm returns home, uh, of course, Lois also forbids Malcolm from seeing Nikki anymore. She says that her dad called, and she also... You know, says says they're never to see each other again. And Malcolm immediately says, you know, that's not a problem. Her dad is crazy and he thinks that she might be too. It's over. They're never going to see each other again, which is, of course, a lie. Oh, yeah. Is it cuts to them walking together to school, uh, holding hands, of course, as they're, like, trying to schedule a time that they can uh, get together without their parents knowing... And it's a very convoluted schedule as it's, you know, not just uh, centered around when they're available, but when their parents aren't home and when Nikki's little brother isn't home because he's a narc. (laughs) And uh, as they're like trying to figure this out, uh, Malcolm, you know, suggests that they won't be able to meet up until tomorrow. But Nikki says she can't wait that long, sort of absentmindedly, which then Malcolm like, you know, points out uh, and they... Have, like, a cute little moment together. <laughs> uh, then, uh, Nikki spots her dad's truck, like, headed their way, and, uh, she's, you know, just says, it's my dad, and Malcolm dives into the nearest bush. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Nikki, like, just waves as her dad passes by. Then, uh, Malcolm is at a movie theater, sitting alone, watching a movie, and, uh, Nikki comes in, and she apologizes for being late, and she says she... Had a hard time, you know, losing her dad. She had to give blood uh, (laughs) to convince him that she wasn't up to anything. And uh, they start to talk, but immediately they're once again interrupted by Nikki's dad, who has once again found them. And as he's, like, making uh, his way towards them, Malcolm manages to duck down and, like, crawl away through the disgusting movie theater floor (laughs) underneath people's feet. So gross. (laughs) <laughs> including some, like, chewed-up gum that Malcolm, like, gets his hand stuck in. Then, uh, we... Next time we come back to this plot line, uh, it is in Nikki's room. Her dad is yelling at her for always, you know, sneaking around and never being where she says that she is. And Nikki is, you know, telling him that she's paranoid, there's nothing going on. And as she's saying that, of course, we see Malcolm is literally hanging from her bedroom window. <laughs> And when their argument finally ends and her dad leaves the room, Malcolm climbs in. And when he does, he tells Nikki that he doesn't think this relationship is going to work. Because, you know, it's while it's, you know, this big thrill, all the sneaking around that they're doing, they don't even have time to do any, like, real dating stuff. And he feels like they don't even really know each other. And uh, Nikki is insulted by this. You know, she says that she's learned a lot about Malcolm. 
and she explains all the reasons why she likes Malcolm, uh, because he's, you know, funny and kind, and he's even funny when he's complaining. Well, look, let's not stretch the truth. <laughs> I look, that that's, uh, you know, why, why this is a, a good relationship for Malcolm, because she finds his complaining endearing. <laughs> now, a- after that, Malcolm, you know, lists all of the reasons that he likes her, uh, which the, the the big notable one there is, you know, that she actually gets along with his friends and she doesn't uh, make him feel like she's lying when she says that she likes him. And they determine that, you know, this is a, they, they genuinely like each other. It's not just the thrill of sneaking around. Then Nikki's dad opens her bedroom door, which Malcolm is like standing next to. And he like pokes his head in and he apologizes to Nikki for yelling and, you know, says that he loves her. And uh, as soon as he closes the door, having, you know, just narrowly missed Malcolm, they start making out. And that wraps that plot line up. Yep. And and with it, the episode. It's a pretty simple episode, but it's it's actually really good. Like, it's not like one of the, like, groundbreaking episodes. I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those episodes where, like, each of the plot lines is solid, but none of them really stand out as, like, amazing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let's now go to our awards. Awards. And as usual, we will begin with our Roller Skating King Award, our award for the best visual moment. What did you have for this one? Well, my first up, you mentioned it already, the crawling through the theater floor. It's just so disgusting and so visual. Because it's not a lot of sound or anything. You see all the popcorn, like the, the spilled Mike and Ikes, the freaking gum pop. Uh, it's just, it's so stereotypical. Even though I've never been to a movie theater that was that gross. And him just crawling through it. It's disgusting, but it, I don't know. It just, it looks good. It They did disgusting well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. That was my backup. But my first choice was Reese's Disguise, <laughs> which I already described when we were, uh, you know, going through it in the episode, but it's just a ball cap, sunglasses, a fake mustache, and a trench coat. Uh, but it's it's just so perfect, and it reminds me of the, like, stereotypical comic book disguise, especially in Marvel Comics, which is always just a fedora and a trench coat. <laughs> right. But it's not just any... Fake mustache, Jake. It's made of electrical tape. It, it sure is. It's a very bad fake mustache. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it, it is. It's just such a funny visual gag. Uh, moving on to our next award. What did you give your hot dog with mustard award? Your award for the best line. Again, I had a couple that I thought about, but you actually stole mine with your intro. I just, I love the way Dewey says, but I don't want to be an evil twin. <laughs> yeah, I love that line so much. Uh, fair enough. Uh, do you want to give your award to that one, or did you have a backup you wanted to go with instead? Since I used it. Oh no, I'm I'm taking that. Okay, that is fine. I gave mine to the Francis line. I try not to look at his fury. <laughs> that one's pretty good. <laughs> then uh, moving on to our next award. What did you give your OK Boomer award? Your award for the moment that best situates. The episode firmly within its time of release. Well, I'm not going to lie. I thought about taking the easy way out. I thought about going with the VHS, 
but we've already pointed that out before. Yeah. Uh, and we've used that in other episodes. Fair. So in order to try to avoid being a basic bitch, the money that Dewey is handed, seeing the old school ones and fives, like I get that they're still in circulation, but I almost never get them now when I do get cash on the rare occasions. It's always the new versions. So like seeing that crisp brand new $5 bill only to have it, you know, not be the new $5 bill was uh was my okay boomer award for this. Okay, that that's a really good choice. Thank you. That, uh, didn't even register to me. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Uh, but I went with Francis's uh, both cell phone and ringtone. <laughs> Fair. His, his little, uh, like, fl- silver flip phone. And, and just like that very distinct, like, sound quality that those old phones, no matter what the ringtone was, had. Just right. a- immediately always, like, sends me back to the early 2000s. It's such a weird, specific quality of sound that's fair yeah well, moving on to our next award which of these plot lines did you give the a plot of your heart that one was harder because like it's like you said earlier like none of these plot lines really like stood out i hemmed and hawed on this one a lot me too and because like I, francis's is funny i love the evil twin idea but i actually gave it to malcolm and nikki Okay. Because I don't completely despise the character of Nikki, which is rare for anyone that Malcolm's interested in. And uh, I, it's nice to see Malcolm not super bitchy. Like, now, granted, it's mostly because the few times that he tried to get super bitchy, he got interrupted by a girl making out with him. But that's a, uh, that's, that's a preferable outcome compared to what usually happens when Malcolm opens his mouth. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I can see that. Yeah. But I did not choose that plot line. I chose the evil twin plot line. That's fair. It's really good. Uh, it is. It's, it's very simple, but I, one, I, I do always love the, you know, uh, everyone has an evil twin bit. It's it always funny to me. Uh, again, it's very comic booky, And, it, you know, it had that uh, Reese uh, disguise moment, which is my favorite visual moment. <laughs> right. I really liked, you know, Reese getting his uh, comeuppance, as well as, like, his evil scheme here, I think, is one of the better Reese evil schemes. And I just love the idea of Dewey, like, just accepting that every once in a while there's just a day where people just give him money for no reason. is very I funny to it. me as well. It, it is super funny. Uh, so I gave it to the ED plot. Okay. Uh, but... Who did you have as your favorite character for this episode? Uh, I had Dewey for all of the exact reasons you just listed for liking the evil twin. (laughs) Okay. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. Very similarly, David, I actually chose Nikki for a lot of the reasons that you chose the Malcolm (laughs) plotline as your favorite (laughs) plotline. That's awesome. Yeah, I agree. It's, It's nice to see, you know, Malcolm have a, uh, love interest that's actually like, interesting and you know more fleshed out and characterized that you know doesn't suck that i I like her like friendship with stevie that let's come out of this was very cute yeah the way she interacts with stevie is great and very like pro good girlfriend like yeah yeah well well, uh you know obviously uh the the relationship between malcolm and nikki has some uh fairly 
obvious issues going on, but, you know, at least have enough self-awareness to, uh, you know, call those issues out. Right. Uh, which, uh, you know, left to his own devices, I don't think Malcolm ever would have. No, no, God, no. Uh, moving on to our next award, who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award? The award for Best Acting. I actually gave it to Justin Burfield. Okay. I think Reese did an excellent job in this episode. I, I think that the scene where he's backing away from the bully is excellent, and you really get some of that, you know, more comedic uh, physical comedy in that as his facial tones start to uh, reflect what he's verbalizing, um, which you don't get a lot of the times with Reese because, you know, the character's written to be a psychopath pretty much most of the time. Right. Just between that and, and I don't know, I just, I love... I have a love-hate relationship with uh, Reese in this episode because I love this storyline. It's funny, but also, how dare you corrupt that perfect angel? <laughs> yeah, th this is definitely one of the most direct uh, pieces of evidence you've had for your Reese's corrupting Dewey argument. <laughs> yeah, he's literally doing it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. But I gave my Cloris Leachman award. To Jane Kaczmarek. Okay. Primarily for that scene where she's sitting, uh, just drinking the tea, and then, you know, oh. she spills it and cleans it up, because she just does such a good job of just, like, through her expression, uh, like, you know, portraying, like, like her disappointment and her sort of realization of, you know, she she wants to go back to having sex, you know, that this isn't as satisfying as it was before, and she's ready to move on from it. Right. Like, it, it's just such an incredible acting moment. She just does so much with no dialogue and, like, no, like, even, like, physical acting, really. Like, it, it's pretty much all just through her facial expressions. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's fair. And uh, moving on to our last couple awards, we have our shittiest and least shitty kid. Let's start with least shitty. Who did you have for that one this week, David? Uh, surprisingly, Malcolm. Okay, I can see that. Because, you know, for once, the shittiest thing he did is something that, like, every teenage boy does at some point, which is, you know, sneak around behind his parents' back to see a girl. Right. And he didn't even, like, really blatantly, directly lie or anything. Like, it feels like most of that was coming from her end. Agreed. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. He, and he he didn't have a chance to be super bitchy like he normally is because uh, she cut him off. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, uh, to his credit, like, like, again, I think it's only happened because of, like, how, like, like explicit about her feelings about it Nikki was. But, like, he does, like, realize... At the end of the episode, you know, their their relationship is built on this unhealthy thrill-seeking to some degree. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I strongly considered Malcolm, but I didn't end up going with him. I went with Francis. That's fair. For very similar reasons to last week's, uh, because, you know, as the, this conflict between these cowboys and Otto was, you know, heating up, and you know, Otto was actively act asking for his gun... Uh, Francis managed to find a, you know, very, uh, common sense, non-violent solution to the problem. Yeah, for a guy who went to military school, he's really good at non-violence. Well, he was very bad at military school. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. 
Well, yeah, I felt like Francis was just the obvious choice for this one. But uh, moving on to our last award, then, who did you have for shittiest kid? Reese, hands down. It's got to be Reese. Of course. Yeah, it, yeah 100%. Okay. It's Reese. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm usually, you know, a bit skeptical of your all of Dewey's wrongdoing is because he's being corrupted by his brothers. But in this episode, it's 100% true. Uh, Reese does actively attempt to corrupt Dewey. He gets Dewey to fill that guy's car with cement. I think you mean this series. But yeah, it's definitely very... It, there's no subtlety to it in this episode. But uh, yeah, so uh, we're, we're in agreement on that, and that wraps up our awards. But we have a few segments left, uh, beginning with a new one, which I alluded to earlier, uh, because we, at least for uh, you know part of this season, we have Pregnancy Watch 2021. <laughs> Wow. So, uh, we are going to, you know, uh, look for those uh, moments where they're, you know, clearly hiding that Jane Kaczmarek was pregnant, which, again, there were quite a few for uh, this episode, since I forgot to tell you we were doing this, David. Uh, did you have any that you wanted to uh, point out that you just uh, naturally noticed once it was pointed out to you? Well, yeah, I mean, it became immediately obvious in two scenes, one of which being when uh, she comes in in the very beginning uh, and sees Hal, because she's got the groceries very deliberately placed in front of her, and it cuts her off at just above the midriff Yep. throughout that whole thing. And then also in the seduction scene, this time instead of being standing or anything like that, she's like tucked in to the blankets and kind of curled up in a, an S position on her side with the blankets over, so it's not revealing any part of her midriff or anything like that. Right. So I think both of those were probably done very intentionally. Yeah, no, I agree. I think those are like the two, uh, like very obvious ones. The, the only other thing that I have to add is that, uh, that there's a lot of scenes where Lois is sitting, especially like behind the kitchen table, like very clearly, uh, like a lot more than usual for the show. There's, like, small things like that uh, tea scene that we've mentioned, but then there's also, like, when uh, Malcolm comes in, you know, she's uh, talking to him about Nikki. She sits there the entire time. And you don't have the, like, standing, leaning, imposing Lois moment? Yes. Like, like th this show, generally, she's, you know, standing, doing, like, the, the finger-wagging, and you know, to make her more intimidating, but, like... Most of her scenes in this episode, she is sitting behind a table. Then, uh, moving on to our next segment, we have the Cranston Connection, uh, which was my job this week, and I actually have uh, two things that I want to point out, neither of which actually directly relate to how. Uh, that's fair. I mean, we did see some, uh, we did see some supporting characters in this one. Uh, we did, uh, as we have already pointed out. Uh, Nikki's dad is. Or, uh, you know, further down the line will be uh, the head of the DEA, specifically in Albuquerque, where, uh, you know, Walter White will be running his drugs and uh, all of that nonsense later on. They, they will be in direct conflict. And we actually have some foreshadowing here, as just like he is never able to, you know, catch up to Walt later on, he is, you know, just unable to catch Malcolm in the act consistently through this episode. It's, a, you know, a very similar dynamic as he's, you know, constantly looking for this wrongdoing, but he always just manages to miss it, like the moment in the movie theater or, you know, the uh, 
end of the episode where Malcolm's hanging from the window, and then at the end, you know, very directly as he literally opens the door that Malcolm is hiding behind. He's always just one step behind, like he always will be. That's right. I mean, he's not a very good cop. But uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out is that Reese does posit a theory that we haven't considered. We may have been bamboozled, David. Yeah? Because we've been, you know, assuming that these are the same person, but it very well could be that Walter White is, in fact, the evil twin of Hal. And he oh. may have simply tricked us into believing they are the same person. Mm. Now, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that this, I'm not willing to canonize this idea, but I do think it's worth evaluating. I see. As an alternative theory to our uh, earlier uh, theory that it's, you know, another personality manifesting. Okay. But, so if that's the case, then, then we have to go back and we have to look at all of the other Hal's and figure out which one is the evil twin coming up in his origin story and which one is how it uh, makes it much more complicated yes yes like, it does like, like when marvel revealed that spider-man had been a clone for the last 20 years of continuity yes that's where my mind immediately goes um <laughs> or when they tried that thing where they were like hey captain america's a nazi Ooh, backlash never mind we were kidding <laughs> yeah like that <laughs> <laughs> Like, like those two examples of universe, universally beloved, widely accepted moments in comics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, here's to us being more successful than Marvel. Uh, well, we only have one segment left. We have David's guessing game. Or, or we could not. Well, David, this week you nailed. I did do well this time. I'm just worried about next time. Well, uh, your prediction was that Malcolm would get a girlfriend, that uh, both his own parents and her parents wouldn't want them seeing each other because they thought that they were, you know, bad influences on each other, which that exact phrasing comes up in the episode. Yeah, I didn't speak to my own personal experiences in this guest <laughs> at all. Fair. <laughs> uh, and then, then you just added that, you know, a big chunk of the episode would be centered around them, like, sneaking around in order to date behind their parents' backs, which is exactly what happened. I had to give you 100% on this one. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And also, yeah, dude, I did way better than I thought I was going to. Yeah, I, look, you know, last week was uh, pretty rough for you, but, you know, th this week you really rebounded. Good job. Let's Thank you. See, see if you can keep it up next week with Malcolm Holds His Tongue. Oh, not likely. When has he ever? <laughs> what, does he get laryngitis or something and can't talk? Because I could see that. That'd be an interesting episode. Okay. Malcolm, unable to talk. God, I wish. No, I'm not lucky enough for that. Wow. I don't know. Maybe it's a tonsil thing. or No, haven't we already done that? I don't know. Maybe Malcolm's actually going to try to shut the fuck up. Like, do we get some introspection here? I don't know. It's look, it's either Malcolm realizes he's a fucking piece of shit. And every time he opens his mouth, he just hurts himself or other people around him. Or it's a medical condition and he literally can't talk. So he's still trying to be a whiny little bitch the whole time. But like he can't physically, you know, speak. Okay. Those are those are my two theories that I'm positing. I have no clue which is correct. Okay, I, I, I will allow that. 
Uh-huh. But you will be losing points on whichever one is wrong. Uh, that's okay. I, I think if you take that approach, I'm going to cap you at like an 80%. That's fair. Um, well, no, because then if you start taking points away, then I'm down on like the 70. That That is a possibility. Uh, you're a piece of shit. So you, you can either lock one in or you can, you know, take that chance. Uh, we'll go with Malcolm shuts the fuck up. Okay. Then I, I will remove the medical part from it. Yeah. Uh, but that wraps up this episode. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on Twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast, which is also where we put up our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid polls. If you like the banter back and forth and want to enjoy more of that, as well as watch live video games, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we entertain, we play video games, and we have good chats with our people in the audience. It's a ton of fun, and we really hope that you swing by. And as always, remember, life is unfair. Hashtag free the Olive Garden cut. No, it's hashtag oh, free yeah, Olive I, I Garden. Mix, I mix our two hashtags together. It's hashtag free Olive Garden or hashtag yeah. release the, release Olive, the Garden Olive Garden cut. cut. Yes. I yeah, combined them on, in Jake. my head, David. Yeah. No, you can't do that. It's gotta be it's gotta be one or the other.